I'm here with Hugo. First of all, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I know that you got into development, um, developing different beautiful architecture. Um, I know you guys do design. I just want to see how you got to the level that you're at right now, what steps mm -hmm. you took, and maybe some of my listeners would like to take the steps you took. And yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks for inviting me. I started the company over 10 years ago with the goal of building high quality um, and beautiful buildings that were inspiring uh, for my homeowners and were inspiring for me to do uh, as a career so I could spend you know day in and day out um, going through the details of of designing uh, planning designing and executing thoughtfully just uh, thoughtful buildings that would make people um, inspired about their lives um, and that's a very broad statement because what what is the word inspiration and you know everybody gets inspired by different things but I wanted to just create a vessel where people could fulfill their um, their life dreams in one of our homes and whether that's uh, through through the, our design of very community oriented uh, projects or just beautiful landscape or a great lighting um, you know it, all the combination of, of our materials that we use the colors um, so that at the end of the day uh, people would would fall in love with their home and that would be an extension of falling in love with their life so that they could be just be inspired about life so that's uh, that's kind of what the reason why I started the company and the reason why I do what I do. So, could you lead us through the process of of buying land, building a home, um, selling it, or giving it to realtors, or how does that how does that work? Yeah, so we're a real estate development company that's fully integrated, meaning we do the due diligence, um, we do the land acquisitions, we do the sales and marketing, the finance the construction um, through the whole project and we hand key, keys over to the homeowners. We obviously work through this process with consultants. We work with with a, 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 hundreds of, of, of individuals and companies to be able to execute our vision. So typically we go through a process of acquisitions to find viable sites or viable assemblies of land uh, that have certain requirements that we look for, whether they are the right um, lot size, the right density allowances, the right uh, type of product that we want to build, whether it's residential, retail, commercial, mixed use. And once we find something that fits our criteria, we then uh, pursue those sites um, in with all the energy that, that we can we can push for. And what that means is building out a due diligence or, or executing a due diligence process, which includes uh, feasibility, financial feasibility, or building performance, which are extensive budgets on what you can build and what the potential revenue and cost and profit are for the project, um, for one. And then the other schematic designs with consultants and architects to be able to to execute the project within the given constraints of the land. Um, and that's kind of the first stepping stone. 
and then you know we we once we go through that process then we try to then uh, put the, the the assembly or land under contract with the sellers of the land uh, in, in mutually agreeable terms, including price and timeline and deposits and so on. And once we have them under contract, then we can go through the execution of the project, which is a, ti a very uh, a timely process um, and which includes hiring uh, engineers and designers, electrical, mechanical, structural, and the architects, and just to start the, doing the schematic design. And then we engage with or bring in our team of sales or marketing to what is the angle we're going to be uh, selling this potential project. Um, we engage with the construction team to put budgets together on how, how much it's going to cost to build the project. And mm -hmm. and we go through the, with our with our with our lawyers to make sure that we have all the right legal documents to sell the project and once all that is done and we have a sales center built um, and we're allowed to start selling if it's a strata project then we then launch the project for pre-sales per se um, once we have met our financial um, conditions from our lender then we can move on to the next stage which is construction um, and through the construction process, we then engage in quality control and um, diligent uh, overview of budgets, timelines, quality, design, processes, sales, marketing, and so on, until such time that we execute the project and into its completion stage, and we entered into the post-construction stage, which is um, deficiency fixing any deficiencies that are outstanding mm -hmm. and so on with the homeowners so that our job doesn't end at when we hand over keys um, but when the homeowners are happy at the end so which which is much much later after completion and then we enter into warranty periods and so on so it's mm -hmm. really a, a to z kind of approach from land acquisition envisioning then execution and then you know post-construction First, we have to put a, a strategic plan or a vision statement for that particular project, which we do for every project. And um, we gather a lot of market research to figure out what is the right home or product that we want to include in that project, which is driven by market demand and, and market pricing. And then we package it all up and then we try to envision ourselves as the buyer and what their needs and wants are and then we launch the project mm -hmm. let's take a step back um into your high school years what what course did you take in high school uh that 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 helped you get to where you are now or if any yeah um well in high school i was fairly good in the sciences and in math and um, those types of courses and I kind of pursued that and which led into inter, into entering the university at UBC um, pursuing an engineering uh, path and basically it was a whole bunch of math and science and so on not you know not forgetting the rec other required courses like English and and mm -hmm. so on but 
typically the sciences, whether it's physics or chemistry or, or even pre-calculus at, 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 at uh, high school. Those are the things that I, I push for because I'm fairly good at it. Mm-hmm. I'm taking pre-calculus now, mm-hmm. and I'm not... I have a lot of questions on how, how would pre-calculus help. I mean, I've never experienced ever in the re- real world using pre-calculus or calculus. Um, how, how, how did it help you start this business? How did it help you get around? Or, it was, or was it just, uh, just something to, kept, to keep your brain working? Um, it's the things we learn in high school which lead us into university often might not seem to be connected but um, just like a person that that knows how to divide and multiply well they first had to learn how to add and subtract and once you learn how to add and subtract then you can go into the next step which is multiplication and then division and then and so on and so forth. So a lot of times these are stepping stones. So in, for so calculus itself may not seem like the end, but it's often a means to an end. And what I mean by that is that, for example, if if you're doing um, if you're pursuing engineering in mm-hmm. in, in a, a university, well, if you want to speak the language of other engineers. Um, then you need to have learned some basic skills in calculus per se or other courses that 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 put you at the same level and as other students that are pursuing the same thing you're studying so then the same thing you know it's like having an undergraduate degree before you get into a master's degree or a PhD if one pursues such endeavors um, a lot of times these are stepping stones towards something you know something in the long run so it may not seem relevant today mm-hmm. but um when you look back they they help you be able to have a, a more broader and more critical mind towards solving decisions towards solving challenges mm-hmm. you mentioned going to university mm-hmm. um what what courses and classes did you take in university well, once I get a, got into UBC, I just and in, in, in my path towards engineering, I, I realized quickly that that was not the uh, the path that I actually wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Um, after my first year, I decided to switch paths, and actually, I left UBC and pursued uh, other goals and try to give myself a bit of a broader understanding of of the other academic endeavors which included uh, learning economics and psychology and, and still pursuing math and so on, um, which I later used towards entering uh, the, the SFU's business, cor- uh, business program. Mm-hmm. Once I was there, I found what I was looking for. And business is not for everyone, but it was definitely for, for me because I combined um, different elements that I was fairly good at, whether it's, or, or things that I liked, uh, psychology, economics, math, uh, and so on, f- so forth, and packaged it all up into being able to make business decisions. Um, and I knew that I was quite quite entrepreneurial in just my personality, so it kind of fit in perfectly because it it would give me the tools to either w- work at a business and eventually start my own business. Um, 
having to having to earn my stripes and eventually if i could prove myself that i was good at what i did uh, launch my own business which i did mm-hmm. which is what i have now so university was was a a long process for me but once i got into into university or once i pursued business at university i pursued a double major at sfu in finance and marketing which seemed to be opposites one is numbers and one is more psychology and marketing mm-hmm. but um, they're quite complementary um, and then when i was there i also pursued a minor in geography um, a certificate in urban studies urban planning um, also at sfu uh, a minor in Latin American studies, and it was all kind of simultaneously uh, been been done all at once um, through the many years that I was there. And in my f- fourth year, I decided to go on an exchange to Spain um, to continue my studies there for courses that could be counted at SFU. So I went there for for a semester, came back and then finished my university. Mm-hmm. And then once I got into a into to, into working at a company in Vancouver, a real estate company, then I went back to UBC and pursued the diploma in urban land economics. Um, so for me, learning has it's always a long pursuit, whether it's reading a book or picking up a course or something that. It's not for the sake of going to university, but it's just long life learning. That mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nowadays, high schools, um, some high schools offer many courses um, in grade twelve. Because before, from grade eight to grade ten, um, most courses are, you know, science, math, English, all the the basic courses in grade 11 grade 12 you get start picking your own courses mm-hmm. what courses do you suggest students take that have to take that are that are mandatory for whatever they do that they'll still need whatever they learned in the course well i think that there are some fundamental courses that everybody should learn um, and that includes obviously math and english and history um, and courses like that because those those are the kind of courses that that help you down the road and at the same time give you the ability to have a critical mind and critical thinking uh, and make the right decisions so for me those those courses are 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 foundational um, towards anything you do in life mm-hmm. how about how about a finance or psychology course the ones that you took in university you think in having them in high school students would get into them, see if they're interesting or not, and go by that, or...? Um, like, like finance and so on, I, I don't necessarily think that finance is a required, should be a required course, unless you want to, if there is some sort of program at the high school where for potential business pursuits and so on. But I do believe that um, taking courses or learning about budget management um, for uh, at a high school level, is is critical. I find that a lot of in, a lot of people, including myself, at at at, at the high school level, um, I didn't know how to budget, and I didn't know how to use a credit card, and and so on. And and I learned that by luck. Actually, a friend of mine really helped me out with that while I was in university. That 
you know how to create my own budgets and 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 so on and it's i think it's very important at an earlier age to start thinking about that because ultimately when you graduate um whether it's you're renting a place or getting a job or having a credit card or spending money or try to save money or invest um some foundational uh budgeting and it's it's very important for for a person to have so that they know how to manage their own life because nowadays schools seem to be much more lenient on marks and pressure on students um do you think this approach is beneficial for students or not well it really depends on what the students want to pursue um and i don't i'm i'm not a believer that it's 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 a one size fits all type of approach um i think that that um if 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 the objective is for students to you know just say let's say graduate then sure that's one approach but if if the if the objective is for um these students to be the future leaders of our city of our province and of our country then we need to give them and challenge them in such ways that they become those leaders and that they they and they have the tools and resources to be able to compete in a global scale which often we tend to forget that um you know the next prime ministers the next business leaders the next um community leaders are are today's high school students and mm-hmm. they need to be able to be challenged and inspired to to be able to achieve those roles and be given the tools to be able to make the right decisions in the future um so i'm a strong believer in in challenging people and finding their strengths recognizing their their weaknesses and giving them the tools and resources to strengthen those weaknesses um but at the same time not be complacent on where that where one person is today that's where they should always stay but mm-hmm. challenge them in a way that that they see the better of themselves in the future because they're accomplishing things that they didn't think they they could in the beginning um and i know that's quite abstract but at the same so but that's that's what i believe in terms of challenging uh people so it's not a one size fits all um but really it also comes down to encouraging uh students to find their passion and to uh to be given those tools but at the same time uh guide them in things that they may not think they need now but given those tools so that later down the road they say oh I'm glad I learned that. Mm-hmm. Right. What what are your next big steps for this development company? Um the big the next steps are to keep growing the company in a way that fits the values and and uh, in culture of the company. And what I mean by that is I am very conscious that I need to stick to to what what helped me grow the company and what is going to help me uh sustain it. 
um, whether that's finding a good balance between work and life and family um, and on, on one end and staying passionate about you know the future and what the kind of projects that I want to do and at the same time making sure that the company is financially viable uh, for the present and for the future mm-hmm. so that making sure that whatever projects we engage in um, make the financial goals or meet the financial goals that we set out for ourselves for our investors um, for one on one end um, and also meet the community goals that we set out for ourselves uh, because we know that adding a building in a community it's it's like putting a like putting a brush in a canvas um, the sum of all those brush strokes add up to hopefully being a beautiful building and we want to make sure that we're making the right brush strokes in this canvas which we call our city right how do different developer buildings or developer companies differentiate themselves from each other why would one be picked over the other is it just because their design style is it their leadership or how would they how how would they be picked um, yeah dif- different companies have different objectives obviously one of the main the objectives of any business is is to grow your business whether that's financially or your team or where you work with the city you work in so on and so forth so i think that a lot of companies share the same goal on that end but where we differentiate um, in the industry is what are the possibly the intangible goals that as a company you also try to fulfill um, and and a lot of times different companies are also constrained constrained by uh, their skills or their knowledge within their company or the um, the the approach they take uh, to do projects so if a company is really good at building condos but not very good at offices then kind of, that kind of re- that kind of keeps their business model mm-hmm. within one type of product um, and so I, I, I tend to, to keep pulse on what's going on, going on, what's going on in the market, but I try not to compare myself to what other companies are doing, so that I pursue the same paths because I'm pursuing my own paths. I have my own mm-hmm. objectives, and and I know what works for me and for Mondevo may not work for others. So I. And, you know, we don't just buy land and develop projects for the sake of developing them. Or we, we, we do it very thoughtfully so that we can, so that it, it aligns with our values and our objectives. Mm-hmm. Before we come to a conclusion for this podcast, I wanted to ask you what your favorite podcast is, if you listen to podcasts, and what your favorite book is, or most influential, most beneficial for you, and might be beneficial for others. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I don't. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Not because I, I, not, I don't want to, but the time that I do have, I typically spend the reading, um, or listening to music, um, mm-hmm. and but that's that's. But in terms of books, that's something that I very much enjoy doing. Um, I recently finished the book *Sapiens*. 
um, which was a very thought-provoking book. Um, and at the same time, I was reading another book called uh, Measure What Matters. And um, it was, it's, it's, it's a business strategy book that was, um, that was written following the uh, methodology created by Andy Grove, which is the former head of Intel, and how they created their strategy and how they helped execute uh, their, their business goals and strategies. Mm-hmm. So that was very thought-provoking at the same time as it relates to our, uh, our year planning for Mondevo, which we recently completed. So it's really interesting just to see what other approaches to business strategy are, are like. So I tend to, to gravitate towards either historical books or geopolitical books or business strategy books. And I might be reading one, two, or three books at any given time and picking one up on depending on my mood that day mm-hmm. or that night um, so that I can, I can finish. Although it takes a little longer sometimes to finish the books. <laughs> yeah, but it's very gratifying when you do. Well, awesome. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. My, my pleasure. Thank you.